Section 11 of Around the World on a Bicycle, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Around the World on a Bicycle, Volume 1 by Thomas Stevens. Chapter 5 From America to the German Frontier, Part 3. Visiting the headquarters of the Societe Velocipedique metropolitan on friday evening i obtained from the president the desired directions regarding the route and am all prepared to continue eastward in the morning wheeling down the famous champs elysees at eleven at night when the concert gardens are in full blast and everything in a blaze of glory with myriads of electric lights festooned and in long brilliant rows among the trees is something to be remembered for a lifetime before breakfast i leave the city by the port de Massoy and wheel through the environments towards vincennes and jeanville pedalling to the sound of martial music for miles beyond the port the roads for thirty miles east of paris are not normandy roads but the country for most of the distance is fairly level and for mile after mile and league beyond league the road is beneath avenues of plain and poplar which crossing the plain in every direction like emerald walls of nature's own building here embellish and beautify an otherwise rather monotonous stretch of country the villages are little different from the villages of normandy but the churches have not the architectural beauty of the normandy churches being for the most part massive structures without any pretense to artistic embellishment in their construction. Monkish-looking priests are a characteristic feature of these villages, and when, on passing down the narrow, crooked streets of Fontenay, I wheel beneath a massive stone archway, and looking around, observe cowled priests, and everything about the place seemingly in keeping with it. One can readily imagine himself transported back to medieval times. One of these little interior French villages is the most unpromising-looking place imaginable for a hungry person to ride into. Often, one may ride the whole length of the village expectantly looking around for some visible evidence of wherewith to cheer the inner man, and all that greets the hungry vision is a couple of four-foot sticks of bread in one dust-begrimed window, and a few mournful-looking crucifixes and Roman Catholic paraphernalia in another. Neither are the peasants hereabouts to be compared with the Normandy peasantry in personal appearance. True, they have as many patches on their pantaloons, but they don't seem to have acquired the art of attaching them in a manner to produce the same picturesque effect as does the peasant of Normandy. The original garment is almost invariably a shapeless corduroy, of a bagginess and o'er ampleness most unbeautiful to behold. The well-known axiom about fair paths leading astray holds good with the highways and byways of France, as elsewhere, and soon after leaving the ancient town of Provence. I am tempted by a splendid road, following the windings of a murmuring brook that appears to be going in my direction, in consequence of which I soon find myself among 
cross-country byways and among peasant proprietors who apparently know little of the world beyond their native tillages four o'clock finds me wheeling through a hilly vineyard district toward villanoaks a town several kilometers off my proper route from whence a dozen kilometers over a very good road brings me to cezanne where the hotel de france offers excellent accommodation after the table d'hote the clanging bells of the old church hard by announce services of some kind and having a natural penchant when in strange places from wandering whithersoever inclination leads in anticipation of the ever possible item of interest i meander into the church and take a seat there appears to be nothing extraordinary about the service the only unfamiliar feature to me being a man wearing a uniform similar to the gendarmerie of paris cockade sash sword and everything complete in addition to which he carries a large cane and a long brazen-headed staff resembling the boarding pike of the last century it has rained heavily during the night but the roads around here are composed mainly of gravel and are rather improved than otherwise by the rain and from cezanne through champenoise and on to vitry le francois a distance of about sixty-five kilometres is one of the most enjoyable stretches of road imaginable the contour of the country somewhat resembles the swelling prairies of western iowa and the roads are as perfect for most of the distance as an asphalt boulevard the hills are gradual acclivities and owing to the good roads are mostly rideable while the declivities make the finest coasting imaginable the exhilaration of gliding down them in the morning air fresh after the rain can be compared only to canadian tobogganing ahead of you stretches a gradual downward slope perhaps two kilometres long knowing full well that from top to bottom there exists not a loose stone or a dangerous spot you give the ever-ready steel horse the rein faster and faster whirl the glistening wheels until objects by the roadside become indistinct phantoms as they glide instantaneously by and to strike a hole or obstruction is to be transformed into a human skyrocket and later on into a new arrival in another world a wild yell of warning at a blue bloused peasant in the road ahead shrill screams of dismay from several females at a cluster of cottages greet the ear as you sweep past like a whirlwind and the next moment reach the bottom at a rate of speed that would make the engineer of the flying dutchman green with envy sometimes for the sake of variety when gliding noiselessly along on the ordinary level i wheel unobserved close up behind an unsuspecting peasant walking on ahead without calling out and when he becomes conscious of my presence and looks around and sees the strange vehicle in such close proximity it is well worth the price of a new hat to see the lively manner in which he hops out of the way 
and the next moment becomes fairly rooted to the ground with astonishment. For bicycles and bicycle riders are less familiar objects to the French peasant outside of the neighborhood of a few large cities than one would naturally suppose. Vitry le Francois is a charming old town in the beautiful valley of the Marne. In the Middle Ages it was a strongly fortified city. The moats and earthworks are still perfect. The only entrance to the town, even now, is over the old drawbridges. The massive gates, iron wheels, chains, etc., still being intact, so that the gates can yet be drawn up and entrance denied to foes as of yore. But the moats are now utilized for the boats of the Marne and Rhine Canal, and it is presumable that the old drawbridges are nowadays left open. Today is Sunday, and Sunday in France is equivalent to a holiday. Consequently, Vitry-le-François, being quite an important town, and one of the business centres of the prosperous and populous Marne Valley, presents all the appearance of circus day in an American agricultural community. Several booths are erected in the market square, the proprietors and attaches of two peregrinating theatres, several peep-shows and a dozen various games of chance, are vying with each other in the noisiness of their demonstrations to attract the attention and small change of the crowd to their respective enterprises. Like every other highway in this part of France, the Marne and the Bean Canal is fringed with an avenue of poplars that from neighboring elevations can be seen winding down the beautiful valley for miles, presenting a most pleasing effect. East of Vitry-le-Francois the roads deteriorate, and from thence to Barleduch they are inferior to any hitherto encountered in France. Nevertheless, from the American standpoint, they are very good roads, and when at five o'clock I wheel into Barleduch and come to sum up the aggregate of the day's journey, I find that, without any undue exertion, I have covered very nearly 160 kilometers, or about 100 English miles, since 8.30 a.m., notwithstanding a good hour's halt at Vitry-le-Francois for dinner. Barleduc appears to be quite an important business centre, pleasantly situated in the valley of the Ornain River, a tributary of the Marne, and the stream in its narrow fertile valley winds around among hills from whose sloping sides every autumn fairly ooze the celebrated red wines of the Meuse and Moselle regions. The valley has been favoured with a tremendous downpour of rain and hail during the night, and the partial formation of the road leading along the level valley eastward being a light-coloured, slippery clay. I find it anything but agreeable wheeling this morning. Moreover, the Ornain Valley Road is not so perfectly kept as it might be, as in every considerable town in France so also in Barleduch, the military element comes conspicuously to the fore. Eleven kilometers of slipping and sliding through the greasy clay 
brings me to the little village of Tronville, where I halt to investigate the prospect of obtaining something to eat. As usual, the prospect from the street is most unpromising, the only outward evidence being a few glass jars of odds and ends of candy in one small window. Entering this establishment, the only thing the woman can produce besides candy and raisins is a box of brown wafer-like biscuits, the unsubstantial appearance of which is, to say the least, most unsatisfactory to a person who has peddled his breakfastless way through eleven kilometres of slippery clay. Uncertain of their composition, and remembering my unhappy mistake at Mantes in desiring to breakfast off yeast cakes, I take the precaution of sampling one, and in the absence of anything more substantial conclude to purchase a few, and so motion to the woman to hand me the box in order that I can show her how many I want. But the o'er-careful Frenchwoman, mistaking my meaning, and fearful that I only want to sample yet another one, probably feeling uncertain of whether I might not wish to taste a whole handful this time, instead of handing it over, moves it out of my reach altogether, meanwhile looking quite angry, and not a little mystified at her mysterious pantomimic customer. A half-franc is produced and after taking the precaution of putting it away in advance, the cautious female weighs me out the current quantity of her ware, and I notice that, after giving lumping weight, she throws in a few extra, presumably to counterbalance what, upon sober second thought, she perceives to have been an unjust suspicion. While I am extracting what satisfaction my feathery purchase contains, it begins to rain and hail furiously, and so continues with little interruption all the forenoon, compelling me, much against my inclination, to search out in Tronville, if possible, some accommodation till tomorrow morning. The village is a shapeless cluster of stone houses and stables, the most prominent feature of the streets being huge heaps of manure and grapevine prunings but I manage to obtain the necessary shelter, and such other accommodations as might be expected in an out-of-the-way village, unfrequented by visitors from one year's end to another. The following morning is still rainy, and the clay roads of the Ornane Valley are anything but inviting wheeling, but a longer stay in Tronville is not to be thought of, for among other pleasantries of the place here, the chief table delicacy appears to be boiled escargot, a large, ungainly snail procured from the neighbouring hills. Whilst fond of table delicacies, I emphatically draw the line at escargot. Pulling out towards Toul, I find the roads, as expected, barely rideable, but the vineyard environed little valley, lovely in its tears, rings from one praise in spite of muddy roads and lowering weather. En route down the valley I meet a battery of artillery travelling from Toul to bar le or some other point to the westward, and if there is any honour in throwing a battery of French artillery into confusion and well-nigh routing them, 
then the bicycle and I are fairly entitled to it. As I ride carelessly toward them, the leading horses suddenly wheel round and begin plunging about the road. The officers' horses, and in fact the horses of the whole company, catch the infection, and there is a plunging and a general confusion all along the line, seeing which I, of course, dismount and retire but not discomfited from the field until they have passed. These French horses are certainly not more than half trained. I passed a battery of English artillery on the road leading out of Coventry, and had I wheeled along under the horses' noses, there would have been no confusion whatever. On the divide between the Ornain and Moselle valleys, the roads are hillier, but somewhat less muddy. The weather continues showery and unsettled, and a short distance beyond void I find myself once again wandering off along the wrong road. The peasantry hereabout seem to have retained a lively recollection of the Prussians, my helmet appearing to have the effect of jogging their memory, and frequently, when stopping to inquire about the roads, the first word in response will be the pointed query, Prussian. By following the directions given by three different peasants, I wander along the muddy by-roads among the vineyards for two wet, unhappy hours ere I finally strike the main road to Toul again. After floundering along the well-nigh unimproved byways for two hours, one thoroughly appreciates how much he is indebted to the military necessities of the French government for the splendid highways of France, especially among these hills and valleys, where natural roadways would be anything but good. Following down the Moselle Valley, I arrive at the important city of Nancy in the eventide, and am fortunate, I suppose, in discovering a hotel where a certain, or more properly speaking, an uncertain quantity and quality of English are spoken. Nancy is reputed to be one of the loveliest towns in France, but I merely remained in it overnight, and long enough next morning to exchange for some German money, as I cross over the frontier today. Lunevis is a town I passed through some distance nearer the border, and the military display here made is perfectly overshadowing. Even the scarecrows in the fields are military figures, with wooden swords threateningly waving about in their hands with every motion of the wind, and the most frequent sound heard along the route is the sharp bang-bang of muskets, where companies of soldiers are target-practicing in the woods. There seems to be a bellicose element in the very atmosphere, for every dog in every village I ride through verily takes after me, and I run clean over one bumptious cur, which, miscalculating the speed at which I am coming, fails to get himself out of the way in time. It is the narrowest escape from a header I have had since starting from Liverpool, although both man and dog were more scared than hurt. Sixty-five kilometres from Nancy, and I take lunch at the frontier town of Blamont. The road becomes more hilly, and a short distance out of Blamont, behold, 
It is as though a chalk line were made across the roadway, on the west side of which it had been swept with scrupulous care, and on the east side not swept at all, and when, upon passing the next roadman, I notice that he bears not upon his cap the brass stencil plate bearing the inscription Cantonniere. I know that I have passed over the frontier into the territory of Kaiser Wilhelm. My journey through fair France has been most interesting and perhaps instructive, though I am afraid that the lessons I have taken in French politeness are altogether too superficial to be lasting. The bonjour, monsieur, and bon voyage of France may not mean any more than the if I don't see you again, why hello, of America. But it certainly sounds more musical and pleasant. It is at the table d'hôte, however, that I have felt myself to have invariably shone superior to the natives. For lo, the Frenchman eats soup from the end of his spoon. True, it is more convenient to eat soup from the prow of a spoon than from the larboard, Nevertheless, it is when eating soup that I instinctively feel my superiority. The French peasants, almost without exception, conclude that the bright nickeled surface of the bicycle is silver, and presumably consider its rider nothing less than a millionaire in consequence. But it is when I show them the length of time the rear wheel or a pedal will spin round that they manifest their greatest surprise. The crowning glory of French landscape is the magnificent avenues of poplars that traverse the country in every direction, winding with the roads, the railways and canals along the valleys, and marshalled like sentinels along the brows of the distant hills. Without them, French scenery would lose half its charm. End of section 11